Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. We are, I'm wrapping up this series that we've been in for the last few weeks today. This is our Sticks and Stones series. I'm going to read some scripture in just a moment, so please stay standing for that. But we've been in this series for the last few weeks about sticks and stones, and we know the old adage that sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. And I know that you know this, but we know that there is nothing further from the truth. We know how painful words can be, and that is exactly why we are spending some time in this series, because we want to make sure that we have a healthy church, that we have a resilient church. And so we've been having all kinds of conversations over the last few weeks about what it means to be strong. And uh, I'm glad to be wrapping up this series now because it's also been a really painful series and it's been necessary as well, right? Every single Sunday that I come to church, it's almost like having to go to the dentist. It's almost like having to go to the doctor for your annual, for your physical, right? Because you know that there's internal work that is taking place, but it's been so good as we have these conversations about, about betrayal and about unanswered prayers and what God says about these things. And I know that as a result of not just talking about these things, but also bringing these things to the feet of Jesus, I know that we will be a more mature church. I know that we will be a more resilient church. And so I'm glad for this series that we've been in, and I'm also glad to be finishing this series today. We're going to read from some scripture in Matthew chapter 11. It's going to be on the screen for your benefit. Matthew chapter 11 and in verse 2 it reads like this. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We're going to talk about offense today. We're talking about offense today. I dare you to touch three people, give them a high five, and say, we're talking about offense today. Don't get offended. Don't get offended today. This is not the time. This is not the place to get offended today. You can go ahead and grab your seats here. When Meredith and I were having conversations a few months ago about this series, about sticks and stones and the different topics that we were going to be talking about every single week, we got to the topic around offense, and Meredith said to me, do you think that's something that you could preach about? I said that I think I, 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 think I could preach about this, but I don't want to preach about this. I don't want to preach about it because I don't, I don't know if you know this, but every time that you're working on a message to deliver to someone else, as you're preparing the message, God is also preparing you. 
And the way that he does this is through other people. The way that he does this is through other situations and conversations. And so sometimes you, you pray for humility, and God doesn't just give you humility. God will give you a humbling situation. God will give you a person in your life to humble you. Sometimes you pray for patience. God doesn't give you patience. God gives you three little children that will teach you patience. When you pray for peace, God doesn't give you peace. Some of you are trying to think about the example that I'm about to use. God doesn't give you peace. God will give you a boss. See, you thought I was going to talk about Meredith. You, God will give you a boss in your life that is overbearing, that is always on you, that is trying to steal your peace. God will give you a boss that is always on you and with, filled with expectations, and then you need to go to the Holy Spirit for peace. God doesn't give us those things. God grows those things, those fruits in us. God grows the fruit in the spirit through people and through situations when we're praying for those things. What we find is that when we are praying to grow in offense, God will give you all kinds of people and all kinds of situations, and when I'm trying to grow in the strength of not being offended, God will bring people my way time and time and time again just to show me how offended I can be. I thought that my, this is a week ago, I thought that my level of offendability was way up here. What I have found over the last week is that my offendability is not up here. My offendability is way down here. And I think that if I asked you the same question, where do you think that your offendability is, you would say, well, I'm pretty hard to offend. My offendability is way up here. But if the wrong person comes your way and says the wrong thing to you at the wrong time, it's on. It's on, right? We like to think... We like to think that we have a high level of offendability, but in reality, we're pretty easy to offend. And even this week, as I was preparing this message, I was deep in preparation mode. I get a phone call from somebody, and this person is just mad on the phone. This person is upset with me about something that I have done and a situation and a way that I'd handled this thing. And they felt the need to tell me about why I was handling this situation incorrectly. And they begin to question all kinds of things about me, my intentions and my motivation and my leadership and all these kind of things, my communication. And as I'm preparing this message on how to handle offense, I feel myself getting offended. How dare you speak like that to me. You don't know nothing about me. You don't know me. If you only you had more facts about this situation, then you wouldn't be upset. You wouldn't feel the need to call me and tell me about how upset you are. And as I get off the phone, I realize just how offended I have become as I've been preparing this message on offense. And in that moment, I feel that tug of the Holy Spirit that we feel all the time where he says to me, this is exactly why we need to have this conversation about offense. 
Because you cannot preach a message about how not to be offended until you deal with this. Now, I wish that I could tell you that I got it the first time. I wish that I could tell you that it only took that one phone call. But it was like seven more conversations took place this week where every single one of them caused offense in me. But I'm glad to tell you today that I finally got it. I finally figured it out. You can't say nothing to me today that's going to offend me. It's like water off a duck's back. We're good today. We're good. There's nothing that you could say that's going to upset me, insult me, or offend me. And I come with good news because that truth can be yours as well today. Our unity as a church is a public demonstration to our community about how much God loves humanity. This is why our unity is so important because when, God, when people in the community look at our church, they will begin to understand about how much God loves them. And this is why God hates division in the church. Division comes from a lack of unity. Offense leads to division every single time. It always has. The heart of offense always leads to division, division in relationships, division in your, your marriage, division in your sibling relationships, d- division in your parental and child relationships, division in the church. This is why God wants us to be a united church focused on the purposes that he has given to us. But it's so easy for us to be offended because it's so easy for us to walk in offense. The reason that it's so easy for us to walk in offense is because offenses are like traps. Traps are, these traps are everywhere. There was a couple nights ago, Meredith and I were sitting in our living room and we start hearing that scratching sound in the walls. You may have heard this before. Immediately we knew that there was a mouse in the wall. So I go and get our mouse trap, and I remembered this TikTok video that I watched where you can put peanut butter on this mouse trap. You don't need cheese anymore, and I thought TikTok has never let me down yet. So I grab <laughs> peanut butter and I put it on this mouse trap, and I set the mouse trap out in the garage where I think the mouse may be coming from. And I go to bed that night. I wake up in the morning, no mouse. There is no mouse on this thing, but what there is is like a thousand ants have now surrounded themselves on this mouse trap. And now the boys want to come out and they're wondering what's going on and they're curious and they're wondering, Dad, why did you put peanut butter on top of this mouse trap? That makes no sense. Every cartoon we've ever watched says that you put cheese on top of the mouse trap. I don't know what you're doing. And the reason that I tell you this, the, the part that I put peanut butter on that mouse trap or that I probably should have put cheese on that mousetrap. That part where you put the bait, in Greek, that is the word scandalon. Scandalon. In Greek, that is the same word for the word offense. Offense. Offense and trap have the same root word. What that tells us is that when offense is taking place, when you are offending somebody else, you are laying a trap for them to walk into. When you are offended, you have walked yourself into a trap. 
And there are traps everywhere. This is one of the things that the enemy is best at, is laying traps everywhere. The enemy knows exactly what kind of trap to lay for you. He knows exactly when to lay that trap. He knows exactly where to lay that trap. The enemy knows the best way to offend you. The way that I know this is because everybody's offended. Everyone's offended about everything. Everyone's offended. Republicans, so offended. Democrats, so offended. Men, so offended. Women, so offended. There was a study that, that people answered where they said that I think 70% of people are too offended. I think that that number is like 99% of people are too offended. Men too offended, women too offended, black people too offended, white people too offended, red-haired people too offended, blonde-haired people too offended, skinny people too offended. Um, uh, like, uh, I, I don't know how I'm meant to say it. I actually looked it up because I didn't know if you were allowed to say fat people anymore lest somebody get offended. And, and the way that people like to be referred to is full-figured. Skinny people are offended. Full-figured people are offended. Tall people are offended. Short people are offended. We're getting offended about everything. Everyone's offended, and we're offended about everything. We get offended at Jesus, y'all. We get offended about what he says. We get, offended. we get offended at Jesus. Yes, Jesus will save you, but he will also offend you. Jesus is going to offend you. When we read the scripture at the beginning, John is offended at Jesus. John is in prison. This is John the Baptist. This is John who has been preparing the way for Jesus. This is the cousin of Jesus. This is John. And John finds himself in prison. And so John has been hearing about all the things that Jesus has been doing and all the signs and all the wonders and all the miracles that have been taking place. And so John says to his disciples, go out and speak to Jesus and find out if he is the Messiah. Find out if he is the one or if we should expect somebody else. This is John, the cousin of Jesus who has spent his entire life with him. This is John, his own family. He's not asking, is he the Messiah? He's asking, if he is the Messiah, then why do I find myself in prison? He's not asking, is he the Messiah? He's, he's saying, why am I in prison if he is the Messiah? And this isn't just John that does this. We do this all the time. When we sing songs, when we praise about how God is good, when we pray to him, so often when we do these things, we say, God, you are good. God, you are faithful. God, you are a healer, and I need you to heal me. God, you are a provider, and I need you to provide for me. God, you are good. God, you are a deliverer, and I need you to deliver me from this mess, from this situation that I find myself in. It's not just John that does this thing. Offense makes everything about you. It puts your entire focus on yourself. John does this. We do this. He's not asking if Jesus is the Messiah. He's saying, if you are the Messiah, then why do I find myself in prison? So Jesus asks this, answers this question back to John. He says, yes, I am the one that you should be expecting. Yes, 
Miracles are taking place. The lame can walk and blind can see and the deaf are having their ears open. All kinds of signs and all kinds of miracles and all kinds of wonders are taking place. And blessed is the one, cousin John, who is not offended on account of me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And this is why. We get offended in relationship. You cannot get offended in isolation. You get offended in relationship, not in isolation. So if you are in relationship with Jesus like John was, it is a matter of time until you get offended by Jesus. Because offense occurs in relationship, offense does not occur in isolation. Let me break this down, because we don't talk about this often, but there's this reality that, um, that we have this hierarchy of expectations in relationship. We don't talk about it, but it absolutely exists. Okay, so there's people that you have no relationship with. Okay, so you have like this level of expectation around these people. Okay, you expect them to be late, you expect them to be rude, you expect them to be self. You don't expect nothing from people that you have no relationship with, okay? Then there's people that you work with, and then there's your friends. You have this level of expectation around your friends, and then you have this level of expectation of, of your spouse, and then you have this level of expectation of your pastor, and then you have this level of expectation of God, okay? We don't talk about it, but it exists. This hierarchy, this level of expectation is fine when the expectation and the reality are the same. There's no problem with this thing. That's why of the world, I have no expectation. It doesn't matter to me if the world is rude because I expect the world to be rude, right? The issue becomes when people that I care about do not live up to the expectations that I have for them. I expect my friend to do this and they just did this. I expect my spouse to talk to me like this and they just talk to me like this. I expect my pastor to do this, and they just did this. I expect my God to do this, and he just did this. This gap that exists between our expectations of other people and the reality of this relationship, this gap that exists is the breeding ground for where betrayal and disappointment and offense can occur. This is the gap. This is the gap. This, is, this gap is not just where betrayal and offense can occur. This gap is also, if you're an employer, this is sometimes when you get into trouble because you have an expectation that's based around the potential that you see in somebody else. And so you have an expectation of where they might be in the future, but they're not performing at that level right now. And so now there's frustration in that relationship because they're not performing at the level that you expect them to perform at. This is why pastors today have a great 
deal of difficulty saying the things that they feel like they need to say because you expect a pastor to do this and now if a pastor ever does this then there's a great deal of gap where you have the ability now there's a breeding ground of offense that has taken place and now you're just going to go find a church down the street that preaches the way that you like and says the things that you think that you need to hear and so now I'm going to a pastor down the road that never never offends me and if Jesus offends us, then my goal is also to cause offense in your life from time to time. I married, um, I married an incredible woman. I did. When I, when I married her, um, I had the level of expectation of her. Did you just clap for yourself? <laughs> yes, you did. So when Meredith and I got married 11 years ago, 11 years ago, I had this level of expectation of her, okay? Because I found in her a good wife. So I had this level of expectation of her. But then over the last 11 years, she has proven herself reliable and she has proven herself trustworthy again and again and again. So now I don't just have this level of frustration. I do have a lot of frustration. I don't just have this level of expectation of her. Now I have this level of expectation of her, right? And that's because of the way that she has acted. It has grown the trust and it has grown the expectation that we have in our relationship one to another. And this is all fine and well and good, except for when I'm preparing a message about offense and God keeps on bringing situations and people and conversations throughout the week prior where I get offended time and time again. A couple nights ago, Meredith and I were sitting in our living room. We're having a conversation late at night and uh, we've, we've just been making plans about the future, and I've, I think we we're, we're just finished this conversation. We've been sitting there for like two hours. I'm hungry now. So I go to the pantry, and I open up the pantry, and I just look in the pantry for a few seconds, wondering what's going to call my name from the pantry. <laughs> of course, like every single other night, it's a bag of chips that calls my name. I grab the bag of chips, and I turn around. I open the bag of chips and start walking back towards Meredith. And before my hand has even entered into the bag, she has the nerve to say to me, are you really about to eat those chips right now? It's 11 o'clock at night. And so immediately I feel myself get mad. I feel myself get, I feel myself just get frustrated. I start saying, yes, I am about to eat these chips. Last time I checked, I was a grown man. Last time I checked, I'm about to eat whatever food I want to eat. Why'd you buy them at the grocery store if you didn't want me to eat them? You must not think that I'm a grown man. Don't you think that I'm a grown man? You think that I'm going to get fat. Oh my goodness, you think that I am fat. You're repulsed by me. You're ashamed by me. I start feeling, I don't know how much of that I actually said to you, but every single one of those thoughts passed through my head in about three seconds. I thought, I was only going to eat like three of these chips, but now I'm going to eat the whole bag of them, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Go buy some more chips. I didn't say that. I know that for sure. That would not have ended well. 
Next morning, I'm still upset about the chips. <laughs> but I've been preparing this list for Meredith of something that I've been working on. And it's something that I want to have a conversation about. And so I, uh, I go to Meredith. It's around the breakfast table. I say, Meredith, you look good today. Have I ever told you how beautiful you look at 7 o'clock in the morning in that dressing robe? I said to her, I've been preparing this list of things that I've been working on. Um, I know that we've been spending a lot of money, but this is a list of things that I would like to spend some money on. Because it's Prime Day, and I've been showing a lot of, uh, a lot of patience and a lot of self-control not buying things for the last couple months so that I could buy them right. I know that we just spent $600 on getting the kitchen sink taken care of. And I know that we just spent $500 getting my motorcycle. And I know that your dog just cost a few hundred dollars at the vet. I know that we just spent all this money. But just think about the fact that if we buy these things today, we will save over $200. Here's the list that I have for you. What do you think about it? And don't you know, she looks back at me and says, do you really think that those are wise purchases for us to be making right now? And I thought, she did not learn from last night's conversation. I'm a grown man. I should have just bought these things and not even told her about them. I'm the man of the house. Don't you think that I'm the man of that? You don't think that I'm fiscally responsible. You don't think that I'm white. You don't think that these, these are things for you and for the boys and for the house. They're not even for me. These are all the things that start going through my head. Again, I'd probably said none of those things to her, but every single one of those thoughts went through my head. She thinks that I'm fat. She thinks that I'm fiscally irresponsible. This is how... This is how offense works because the level of offense is directly proportionate to the proximity of the relationship that we are in. And also, it's dependent on the level, the depth of the insecurity that I feel about that thing. The level of offense that we experience about a thing is directly proportionate to the proximity of the relationship and the depth of the insecurity about how I feel about that thing. So if I'm close to Meredith and if I'm insecure about that thing, when she speaks about it, it's going to cause a great deal of offense. If I don't know you and if you say something that I don't care about, it's not going to offend me. But if we are in close relationship and if you're talking about something that I feel insecure about, then it's going to cause offense to me. This is, this is what I've been learning throughout this past week is, is how to deal with offense and how to take care of myself so that I don't respond and lash out in the way that I want to. And, and this is what I wanted to talk about today because it doesn't just happen in marriage, it happens when you're out on the street as well. So you're driving in traffic and somebody cuts you off in traffic, right? You're driving down the road and someone's tailing you way too close behind. Meredith does this all the time. It drives me nuts when she does this, but she does it because her mama told her how to drive and it must be like a... 
It's the truth. It's the tr- Thank you. It's the truth. Bishop knows that it's the truth. Somebody taught you how to do it. So you're driving in traffic and someone cuts you off or someone's tailing you way too close behind. And, and the issue begins to be not just about that thing. The issue becomes about the story that you tell yourself about why that thing occurred to you. Well, that person cut me off because they're white, right? That person cut me off because they're black. This person's tailing me too close behind because they're a guy. This person, and so now it's not just about the offense, it's not just about the issue, it's about the story that we tell ourselves about why that issue occurred. We tell ourselves these stories about why that person just did this to me. And it has nothing to do about the prejudice that you have about black people or about white people or about old people or young people. It has nothing to do about any of those things. The reason that that person cut you off yesterday is because they were rushing because they were late to work. And they were late to work because their child is sick and they couldn't get to the daycare because the daycare wouldn't take their child. And they know that if they're going to be late for work again, then they're going to lose their job. And so now that's the reason that they cut you off. It has nothing to do with you, but offense makes everything about us. It puts all of your energy inward. It puts you on the defense, and that is why we begin to focus on ourselves when things take place. The reality is is that you don't have to be offended just because offense has occurred. It's your choice. Offense is inevitable. Offense is going to happen. We changed the way that this room looks. We made this platform black, and at some stage, we're going to change the carpet. And and you might be upset about the way that the room looks, and you might be frustrated about how the music is different, and you might be upset about how the preaching is different. Just because offense has occurred does not mean that you have to be offended. It's your choice. It's your choice. The offense is the thing that takes place. The offense is the action. Jesus makes it clear. Luke 17, Matthew 24, offense is going to increase. Offense is all the time. Offense is only going to increase as we go further in life. But just because offense occurs does not mean that you have to be offended. If offense is the action, then being offended is the reaction. Being offended is holding on to the offense, holding on to that thing and refusing to let it go, thinking that you have the right to be upset, thinking that you have the right to hold on to it, to allow it to impact all of your emotions. And so now jealousy rises, betrayal rises. Frustration rises. Thoughts of revenge rise. This is what being offended does to you. The offense is inevitable. Being offended is the choice that you have. And you have a choice to hold on to that thing or you have the choice to put that thing down. It's absolutely your choice. Do you have the right to be offended? Absolutely you have the right to be offended. You have the right to pretty much do whatever you want to do. But do you have the right to think that you can live offended and walk in close proximity with Jesus? No, you don't. 
Do you have the right to think that you can live offended and have your prayers answered by God? No, you don't. Jesus makes that clear. You have the right to be offended, but you will not live a fulfilled life. You will not live an abundant life if you choose to hold on to the offense. The only way that you can live the fulfilled life and the abundant life is to let go of the offense. And I come with good news to tell you that you don't have to hold on to it anymore. You don't have to be burdened by it anymore. You don't have to be overwhelmed by it anymore. You don't have to carry that thing anymore. You don't have to do it. The reason that we allow ourselves to get offended is because we have taken the focus off of Jesus and put it onto ourselves. The reason that you are offended today is because you have forgotten about how much you have been forgiven. Was our Savior not insulted when he was crucified for your sins? Was our Savior... Was was our Savior not insulted when he was betrayed by those that are closest to him? And what did he do? Did he turn his back on them? No. He prayed for them. God, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And I came with the good news to tell you that if Jesus can get over the offense, then you can get over it too. You don't have to carry it. And I know that you've been holding on to it for so long that you think, I don't know who I am without this thing. I've been holding on to this offense for so long. I I don't have an identity outside of being offended. The good news for you is that when you put that thing down and you pry your hands off and you release your right to living an offended life, you realize the weight that you were under and the extra burden that you were carrying. And you realize within yourself that you can move more quickly now, that you can move more freely now, and that while you were holding on to this thing, while you have put it down right now, while your attention may be constantly being drawn back to that thing, the further that you walk, the less attention that you're going to give that thing. The further that you walk, the faster that you can go. You have the ability to get over the offense that somebody caused you. And if Jesus can get over it, then I can get over it. And if I can get over it, then you can get over it. And if they can get over it, then the next person can get over it. You have the ability to get over the offenses that have been caused to you. Christ is the example of exactly how we can do this. And he went to the cross and carried his own cross so that you would not have to carry the offense anymore. And he did it. He did it even when we were mad at him. He did it even when we doubted him. He did it even when we were frustrated by him. He did it anyway. He went to the cross and carried his own punishment that he did not deserve so that you would not have to carry the offense anymore. We get offended because we take our eyes off of Christ 
and put them onto ourselves. But when I begin to think about Jesus and all that he has done for me, I can't help but forgive you for looking at me sideways. I can't help but forgive you for upsetting me. I can't help, you can't help. When you begin to think about Jesus, you can't help but forgive the person that has just wronged you or the person that has just said the wrong thing to you. When you begin to think about Jesus and all that he has done for you, you can't help but get over the offense that somebody has caused you. The quickest path to to being offended, to living an offended life is when you take your eyes off of Jesus and put them on yourself. I, have, um, I just have one more point. If you'll stand with me. I've got one more point. It'll only be like 25 minutes. <laughs> Our unity as a church will be a demonstration to the world about how much God loves humanity. When you think about the greatest sports teams, the most successful sports teams, united. When you think about the greatest businesses and enterprises and organizations, united. When you when you think about the greatest military, united. And when I think about us being the church that Christ has called us to be, united. United in our focus, united in our values, united in our culture, united in our ability to get over the offense that has been caused to you. United. United in our mission, united in our vision. We are united in doing the things that God has called us to do. It's interesting and it's, it's somewhat ironic that when offense occurs in your life, you are now on the defense. When someone offends you, it puts you on the defense. You begin to defend yourself. You begin to put up your walls. You begin to focus on yourself, protecting yourself and guarding yourself. When offense comes your way, it puts you on the defense. It's interesting. The reality is, is that you cannot win a battle you cannot win a competition. You cannot win a war if you are only on defense. When offense comes your way, you're on defense. It's interesting that when God gives us the armor to put on, he gives us a shield, he gives us a helmet, we think that he gives us these things to protect ourselves against what the enemy is trying to do in the world, against what the enemy is trying to do in our lives. But he also gives you a sword. And he gave you a sword because we are not just to live on defense, we are also to live on offense. 
And the sword that he gives us gives us the ability to attack the enemy and to take down the works that he is trying to do in our own community. That's why we walk for freedom, because we say that human trafficking has no place in our community. That's us going on offense. And I'm tired of our churches just being on defense wondering about what the enemy is going to do, being stressed out about if the enemy is going to attack me today. I'm, I'm frustrated with how our church has become so defensively minded, focused just on protecting ourselves and guarding ourselves. Our mission statement is to declare Jesus everywhere. There's not a word of defense in that statement. To declare Jesus everywhere says that I'm going on offense. I'm going to raid hell and populate heaven from Northwest Ohio. This is the mission that God has given us to, to declare Jesus everywhere, to see lives transformed, to see souls saved, to see families come home, to see men at home with their families. This is what God has called us to, to declare Jesus everywhere.